Hello, hello. Welcome back to Irrepressible. I'm Erica Ashley, your host. To anyone new here, welcome. I have such a treat for you guys this week and actually next week. This is a two-part episode and I'm really excited about that. I have Dr. Debbie Kung on the podcast and she is a licensed acupuncturist. She practices out of Austin, Texas and New York. I came across her through an article she wrote for Frenchie. And for anyone who doesn't know, Frenchie is Ashley Tisdale's health and wellness blog. She wrote an article about acupressure and I found it fascinating. And I was like, I have to reach out to this woman. Lo and behold, here we are. We've recorded for you. And she is just so knowledgeable about Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine and acupuncture, acupressure, cupping, gua sha, all the things. And we split the episode into two parts because there's a lot of info to digest between between everything she gives. And so this week, the focus is what is acupuncture? What is acupressure? What is cupping? How do they help your body? How did she get into Chinese medicine? Her story, all like the foundation of Eastern medicine. And then next week, she takes it a step further and talks, now that you have the foundation of, of all these things, how you can apply it to like a beauty regimen, why you might want to do gua sha instead of Botox, acupuncture for like wrinkles. It's, it's fascinating the amount of things that you can do as preventative medicine with acupuncture and needles in your body and even cupping. And she gets into that and she has much deeper knowledge on it than I do. You know, it's funny that I came across her on a blog because I think a lot of people think blogs are oversaturated or going out of style. And I completely disagree with that. I find a lot of really good information through blogs. A lot of people have guest writers on, experts. Um, It's kind of like the written version of a podcast. And I have an appreciation for that. And I'm so happy that I that I came across Dr. Kung and that we were able to record and to share this with you. So without further ado, I want to jump into this episode because she has, she's a fascinating story. She's an incredible woman and the information is going to be so helpful to you, I hope. So here's Dr. Kung. I want to jump in with like, how did you get into Chinese medicine? Because I know you you had a different experience. You didn't grow up with it. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up in, um, well, let's, let's put it this way. I grew up in, because I'm a lot older than you. So (laughs) generationally, it's a little bit different too, but I grew up in Southern Virginia where at the time there wasn't that much diversity. And so my parents, when they immigrated here from Taiwan, they actually wanted me to, wanted me, my brother, and my sister to assimilate, right? It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, they basically, and they thought they were doing what was in their minds at the time, the best things for us, which I totally understand. Um, so they stopped speaking Chinese to us at home, uh, you know, cause they wanted us to really learn the English language. Um, food wise, we still ate a lot of Chinese food, but other than that, that was it. Like we didn't really do that much cultural things. Um, and especially when it comes to medicine, we actually didn't practice any of it. But the, the thing I must say though, is that in Eastern culture and Chinese culture, 
the medicine is actually part of the lifestyle. So even though I'm saying that we haven't practiced the medicine, like say acupuncture or cupping or gua sha, um, those are some modalities of Chinese medicine. There is actual medicine in the food, just like every culture has that as well. So, you know, we did eat a lot of foods that do have a lot of medicinal properties that de definitely helped with certain things. So I studied graphic design. I was an art major undergrad. And then I wanted to move out to LA with the rest of my friends after graduation because, you know, they were all in business and finance. So they landed jobs really easily, whereas I was an art major and that was a little bit tougher to find something that was sustainable. So I ended up throwing my resume up to New York and just was just applying everywhere. And um, my first job was at Nautica. Um, I don't know if you even know what that brand is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of dating me, um, but I was a junior graphic designer. So that's how I fell into fashion. It's kind of, I kind of worked my way in through that angle. And it wasn't something that I had planned. I didn't have these like grand illusions of me killing it in the fashion industry. It wasn't anything like that. I was like 21 at the time, 22 at the time, and just trying to find a job. So <laughs> it just ended up taking me to New York. And then from there, I really started honing my skill as a designer and in marketing um, and worked my way up the ladder. So one of the last places I was at was at Diane von Furstenberg. Um, I was at Ralph Lauren for a bit, but it was great because I was working under a very strong woman. Um, I was exposed to a lot of different amazing opportunities and a lot of amazing coworkers. And some of my old coworkers are still my best friends to this day. So it, it's, it was a great opportunity. Um, but how I fell into Chinese medicine is kind of interesting. So, you know, at that point in my life, I'm like, what, 26, 27, 28. And I'm doing really well in fashion and, you know, living the life. Um, but living the New York life, I should say, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're like going out and, you know, just doing this and that. And so, but for me, something was missing. It was like that one component that I sounds cheesy, but it just felt like I wasn't living my life to my fullest potential, but I wasn't sure what else it is that I should do. Mm -hmm. So, um, I started getting really stressed out from work. And one of my coworkers who's not Asian was actually like, Hey, you should try Chinese medicine. I heard it really works. You should try acupuncture. It helps to like, um, decompress and de-stress and stuff. And at this point I was just like, I'll do anything. Cause you know, I was kind of on my nightly regime of after work, having a glass of wine, which, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, Holy crap, I did that all the time. Like that's a lot for my liver. Um, and so for me, it was basically coming from a place where, okay, I'll try anything. I want to learn to de-stress and I don't have to rely on alcohol or any other outside component to help me de-stress, right? So um, I went to an acupuncturist in Chinatown and randomly found him, didn't know what to expect. I had the best sleep of my life to date that, that night. And it's really interesting because I... I didn't know what to expect. So it was also that like not having those expectations also kind of clean clears the slate for whatever's going to happen will happen. Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning and slept so well. I walked into work and you know, people were like, wow, you, you look really well rested. Did you get a facial blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I just had acupuncture done. And it's crazy because now that I look back, I'm like one session really changed my life. I mean, that was like the epiphany. That was like something that went off light bulb went off and I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to do fashion anymore. I want to learn about acupuncture. I want to learn how it is that you put needles, which looks like it's so random in someone's body and they feel so much better. And also because it's part of my heritage, you know, I felt like there was a missing component of that just growing up and not really being denied my full heritage, but just not knowing any better. Um, so it kind of came full circle when I left New York in the fashion industry. And then I moved to Austin, Texas, where, um, I studied acupuncture, got my master's in acupuncture and then opened up my practice. 
And so when I opened my practice about three months into opening like any new business, you know, you're like trying to make everything work and get patients to the door. Um, I started getting really sick and I didn't know what it was. And eventually I went to the doctor and they were like, you have cancer. So I had thyroid cancer. Um, and at this point there was definitely telltale signs. I was just so engrossed in other people's health that I didn't really pay attention to my own, which happens a lot in healthcare um, with a lot of practitioners um, mm. and with mommies too. And so um, I basically, you know, the nodule was like an inch and a half. I mean, you could see it. Like when I swallow, there's like video of me where you can see it protrude oh out. Gosh. It's not my Adam's apple. Yeah. Uh, but I was just so focused on, you know, helping other people that I wasn't really helping myself. And so that was a big problem, which later I learned to um, do more of. But so I got sick and then ended up recovering. Thank goodness. Been in remission for five years now. Um, and so, uh, during that recovery time, it gave me a lot of downtime to really think of what it is I'm doing with my life. You know, for a while I was angry at the universe. Cause I was like, why is it here? I am, you know, trying to learn in medicine to help other people and I'm getting punished for it. Like I actually kind of reasoned to myself, like, why am I getting sick right now? This type of cancer doesn't run on either side of my family. Um, how is it that I have this? Why is it so aggressive? And, and so, um, you know, it gave me time to really think. And I, I promised myself that when I was 100% better, I would return to the medicine, return to helping other people and um, just give it my all. And so that's what I did, you know, after about a year of recovery, um, I you know moved back up to New York and opened my practice up there. And then fast forward to years later, COVID hit last year. So I ended up moving my practice down to Austin, Texas, where I went to school, where I still have friends and I have some family here too. So that's kind of my whirlwind adventure of how I got into Chinese medicine. Um, but I find it's one of those medicines, which is so intriguing because the more you practice it, the more you're like, holy crap, I don't know anything about anything. Yeah. It's a very humbling type of medicine. You know, um, I always tell my patients, be concerned if someone promises you something. Be concerned if you go to a doctor and they say, um, you know, this is, I'm the best, I can do this for you because the human body is so intelligent. It, it really, just when you think you know more about it, I mean, we're still discovering things about the human body, mm -hmm. um, which is incredible. And Chinese medicine has been around forever, gosh, almost 4,000 years. So just keep that in mind. It's been around for a long time because it works. Um, and it's funny how to see how it, it, the dichotomy between Western medicine and Eastern medicine, Western medicine is actually finally starting to acknowledge a lot of things that Eastern medicine has discovered many, many thousands of years ago. So it's really funny to see that just happen. Yeah. yeah. I am curious, how did you approach treating your cancer? Did you go a Western route yes. or an so, did? Well, yeah. So to answer that question, I went through a Western route only because it was so aggressive. I caught okay. it at a time where had I waited longer, it would have gone systemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's my whole thing is that I, you know, when people ask about Western medicine, I'm like, there is a time and a place for it. I'm living proof. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think when it comes to certain things like body aches or headaches or something like that, if it's already diagnosed from a Western medicine doctor and they don't know what it is, that's where Eastern medicine can come in and fill in that gap. You know, a lot of times people come in to see me cause I'm kind of like their last minute resort or their last minute hope, which puts a lot of pressure on, you know the medicine and on Chinese and on um, the doctor on people like me, but you know, I know it works. I'm living proof of it. I know that it can change your life if you allow it to. And just honestly realizing that this type of medicine is a healing medicine. It's a preventative medicine. So it helps you from becoming sicker or sick in the future. And it also helps to heal. 
So that's why I totally believe in it. I, it's inspired me and I've changed and dedicated my whole life to it at this point. Yeah. I love that. I want to talk about acupuncture because to that point, my first experience with acupuncture, I think I was 15 and I had sprained my ankle and I was a dancer. I was in a musical. I like had a performance the next night and they were like, I couldn't walk. And my mom took me to get acupuncture and I'm terrified of needles. And so I was like, (laughs) is this going to work? Like you're going to put needles in me and it's going to fix me. But I was desperate for being able to perform the next night. And I remember Mm. for a sprained ankle, she put needles in my knee, in my toe Mm -hmm. and my face. Mm -hmm. I I could Mm -hmm. walk perfectly the next day. And I was like, yeah, this happened. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, you know, it's funny because in, in acupuncture school, you know, there's the origins of acupuncture is actually a little murky because it's such a crazy medicine. It's so, it looks so simple, but it's actually very complicated in advance. Um, to your story is an example. It's like if you went to water met Western medicine doctor, they would probably just give you some painkillers and tell you to rest. Right. Um, but the body, if you know how to, to treat the body, the body will respond how we want it to. And that's why I love this medicine. When I was in school, I remember, like I said before, the origins of acupuncture are, are a little bit murky. I remember asking one of my professors, I was like, how did acupuncture get come about? What's the story behind it? And he was like, well, he's like, and he was very deadpan serious. And he was like, humans didn't, he's like, humans did not invent it. It came from aliens we were all like, what? Like we were not expecting that answer. And he was like, yeah, he's like, yes, think about it. He goes, it's an intelligent medicine. We're not that smart. We can't figure that out. And when the more that you practice this medicine, the more that you realize, I realized that he was right because I know it sounds crazy. Um, there's no way that the humans were that smart. We can figure out this type of medicine. I mean, the way that Western medicine is now evolving into becoming a little bit more holistic. Mm-hmm. They're also showing and doing research that proves and, and, you know, I guess like tertiarily, not primarily that Chinese medicine actually works. It's, it's pretty nuts. Like the, the whole theory behind Chinese medicine, um, the yin and yang, the balance, um, it's pretty nuts. Like they were just talking about how fascia in the body helps to, um, redistribute emotions. And in Chinese medicine, we already knew that the fascia is actually a meridian we can, or an organ we considered called the San Jiao, S-A-N-J-I-A-O. It's a San Jiao meridian. And we already knew thousands of years ago that that's what it does. And one way to treat that is to stretch. Because as you know, as an uh, athlete, um, you know that stretching really helps to release a lot of tension, mm-hmm. whether it's physical or emotional. So it's really interesting, um, the origins of it. No one really knows, but you know, I think it's pretty cool that it's been around for this long and it still works and it seems to be having a resurgence, which is really nice um, because I think COVID really forced people to look at their healthcare and how they're taking care of themselves and how, you know, they want to go a more holistic route that they do have the power to take care of themselves that they can. That's why I love this medicine. It also helps to empower them. So Erica, one of the things that I like to do in my practice is I like to educate my patients. I like to tell them exactly what's going on, especially if there's, if it's their first time getting acupuncture done or getting a needle put in them. I will literally walk them through each needle. I'll be like, okay, so this needle I'm putting between your toes does this. It's going to feel like that. This is what you should expect. And, you know, having that information is power. And this is just telling, you know, educating them about their bodies. I mean, this is their body. That's the one thing we have in our life that's ours, right? Is Mm -hmm. our physical body. And so why not take care of it? And 
so it's been really interesting, my journey, as I've been practicing medicine throughout these years, um, this Eastern Chinese medicine, um, it's really interesting to see how many people are starting to realize how well it works. And it's great that you had that experience when you were that young, because that's yeah. also a very impressionable age too. You know, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I decide on. And it's great that it worked for you. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually super grateful for it because I also would take a lot of like Chinese herbs if I was sick mm. or I had a yeah. very different experience, I think with medicine growing up than most people. I, I would say so, at least in the West. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, and I agree with you that there's like a time and place for medicine, but I'm like Tylenol right. for me is like a last resort. What <laughs> else can I do first? <laughs> yes. I'm with you on that. And, and it's really interesting how, you know, as, as modern day humans, we become so reliant on just popping a pill and expecting that to, to sort itself out in our body. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself is kind of a crazy theory. If you think about it, you know, like they say, there's no silver bullet, there's no magical pill. Um, everything has a consequence to it. And so that's why you see a lot of pharmaceutical companies when you've seen these commercials at the end, it's like a guy just, mm-hmm. and you know, look out for these side effects. Um, and it's, it's really interesting because in Chinese medicine, we do have side effects, but they're actually a good thing. So side effects of getting, say, your first treatment of acupuncture could be, you know, a better sense of well-being, um, less of a headache, better sleep that night, better digestion, more energy, clearer mental, um, clearer mental, less mental fog, um, you know, things like that. And it's, it's just showing that our bodies are capable of doing that. Sometimes we just need that reminder and push. So I like to tell my patients, you know, if they think me fine, you know, that's for my ego, but in all seriousness, it's like, I really didn't do that much. I just reminded your body of what it already knows. Don't thank me. Thank your body for remembering Mm. and repairing itself, you know, and that's, Mm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no negative side effect of getting acupuncture. So from what we know of, no, now it has, that's, um, caveats. That means that you have to have it applied properly mm-hmm. because you've probably heard of nightmare stories where people get punctured in the lungs and that's just not having proper needle technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time you don't use acupuncture is when someone is diagnosed with active cancer. Acupuncture has a spreading effect in the body. And so you don't, the last thing you want cancer to do is to go systemic. Yeah. So when someone is diagnosed with cancer and it's active in the body, we do not treat through acupuncture. We treat through other modalities such as herbs and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So then what does acupuncture treat? Like, can you go for joint pain? Can you go for a broken arm? Can you go for eczema? <laughs> like, is it everything or is it limited? I mean, you know what, back in the day it was for everything. Cause that was the only medicine <laughs> that was available out East. Um, you know, I think <laughs> like for your example, joint pain, injury, sports injuries, it's actually really good for it. Now when it comes to actual physical bones breaking, there are some pe- practitioners out there, not me, but there are some that can actually help that, that can help mend your bone through herbs and through acupuncture. There are certain acupuncture points on the channel, on your channels and in your body that help to stimulate bone marrow growth, to help to stimulate red blood cell count, red, mm-hmm. red blood cell reproduction. Um, and so, and to help stimulate the immune system too. So, you know, the Long, the short answer is yes. Acupuncture is great for basically everything. Now, the long answer is more like, well, you know, realistically, what do people go to see an acupuncturist for? If you break, like, it's a, if I break my arm, I'm not going to go see an acupuncturist. I'm going to go to the ER, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of using that kind of judgment. Um, 
but you know, in places like in China, especially there's rural parts where that's all they have right now. So that's all they use and it, it still works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Western medicine is definitely built for convenience, you know, and that's, that's totally understandable. Right. And it's mm-hmm. also built for, you know, slight instant gratification. And that's the thing that I like, but I don't like because, you know, nowadays we just want everything to be instant, whether it's, you know, posting something online or getting an answer right away for whatever, but our bodies don't work that way. And we tend to forget that our bodies work on its own immune system, its own clock, its own circadian rhythm. So to force your body to heal itself of something that you take a pill for, it doesn't necessarily mean it's doing that. Um, It's probably masking the symptoms, you know, and in Chinese medicine, what's so great about it too, and why it's so effective is that not only does it treat the symptoms that you're coming in for, like headaches, tiredness, whatnot, but it's treating the root cause. So it's addressing both. And even in your experience where when you were dancing and you injured yourself and you went and got acupuncture done and it basically put you back to a hundred percent, you know, whoever you want to go see knew enough wherewithal that, Hey, not only am I addressing this temporary injury, but I'm also reinforcing the chi and the blood, the yin and the yang, so that she will continue to be able to dance, you know, full force with all her energy and be able to be functional. So it's really interesting. Um, the whole dynamics of Chinese medicine, it's simple, but it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you talk about like the meridians and the chi in your body for anyone who might not know? about it? Sure. Absolutely. So these, these terms are being thrown around and they sound complicated, but they're really not. Chi is just energy. It's just the life force in the body that every single living thing has, whether it's a blade of grass, uh, your dog or yourself. And so, um, you know, this chi likes to work on a highway system in the body. Um, and it goes through the body. This highway system is called meridians and meridians are just open channels going through the body that help support the chi so it can move everywhere and give you life, give you energy. And so every meridian is actually attached to an organ. So in Chinese medicine, we do something called organ, organ pattern diagnosis, which basically means instead of looking in your at your circulatory system or your respiratory system, we actually look at your individual organs and how they all play an important role and how they all work together. So for example, say your liver, your liver in Chinese medicine has a lot to do with reproduction, has a lot to do with um, making blood and cleansing blood, just like in Western medicine. And it has a lot to do with addressing stress. Every organ has an emotion attached to it. And the emotion attached to the liver is stress. That's why when people drink, it physically relaxes the liver. It makes them feel better. They feel less stressed. Um, and so the liver has a certain meridian, a certain highway pathway that it runs through the body and it goes all throughout the body. It doesn't just stay in one place. Like what we think of in Western medicine, it actually encompasses everything. Hence the whole idea of holistic medicine. And so what happens is anytime you have any injury or ailment or disease, it, it usually is related to one or two or even three organs. And when these organs, for whatever reason, get blocked or uh, have issues along that meridian, that energy highway, that's when ailments start happening. You know, that's when diseases start happening. And so what acupuncture does is these needles kind of, they're like traffic cops. They go into where the places are congested, where the chi can't move through, where it's blocked or it's like deficient with what we say, where it's lacking thereof. It helps to reinforce the chi, energizes the chi, pushes the chi through so it can do its own system again. So it can bring all the nourishment and chi and energy to all parts of our body so that we're well-balanced and we're healthy. And um, so the needles act like traffic cops. They go in and they clear out the congestion so that the chi can flow again smoothly. And the whole idea of Eastern medicine and why it works so well is all about balance. 
they say, there's a saying that says, when chi flows smoothly, there are no sickness, there are no issues, there are no ailments. And so that's the, the basic idea of why acupuncture works. And it's really interesting as someone that maybe hasn't had acupuncture done that's watching this is like, well, that still doesn't make sense. I would encourage you to actually go to your local licensed acupuncturist and give it a shot because I think you'd be pleasantly surprised how well your body is receptive to it. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about acupressure too because I think – and I could have – the wrong understanding about this, but isn't acupressure where you can essentially kind of do the same thing on your own without needles? Absolutely. So you're right about that. It basically is what that is, is um, they're all based over acupuncture points. Acupressure has a time and a place for treatment and it's great because it empowers you to be able to do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Acupuncture works on more of a deeper level. Okay. So depending on how severe your symptoms are, are the ailments or the, you know, whatever disease you have. Yes, you can do acupressure at home and it does help alleviate symptoms, but to get to the nitty gritty of it, I would highly recommend acupuncture because what happens beneath, I'm sorry, excuse me, what happens beneath the surface of the skin, the muscular, the cellular tissue, all that is mm-hmm. where the chi lies, right? And so we really want to be able to tap into that chi to get things going again. So that's one of the reasons. So acupressure, yes, it works. Um, It's more or less for things that are not as um, severe. Mm -hmm. But if you are dealing with severe issues, then yes, definitely go see your local acupuncturist. Okay. And then what about cupping? Cupping is also something that you do. Yes. So cupping is considered an Asian modality, but it also has been around and found in different cultures all over the world for thousands of years. So the idea of cupping, for those of you guys watching or listening, um, you've probably seen it or have experienced it where it looks like dark circles, looks like you got attacked by an octopus. (laughs) And what it is, is it's basically allowing, so, you know, before we talked about um, how fascia is in the body. And mm-hmm. it, so fascia going back, so I'm going to explain how acupuncture works from a Western medicine standpoint. Okay. So <clears throat> when fa- as we age or if we're stressed, whether through physical or emotional stress, the fascia is that sheath-like web-like collagen covering that covers all of our muscle layers. And what it does is it gives our muscles shape, <clears throat> excuse me, and it helps to protect the muscles and also allows nutrients from the blood to go in and out of the muscles. That's why if you've ever seen surgery done or if you've ever had been cut open or anything, you'll notice that you're not necessary. Once you hit an artery, you're not bleeding out because every, the fascia also encompasses its own um, blood vessels, its own system of that. So that's why your body's very smart. It knows in case you get injured, if it's not going to bleed out. Right. Mm. So um, basically what it does is it floats above the muscle. And when you're young, it's very supple. It likes to float. And so there's space in between where blood flow can go through, where nourishment can happen. As we get older, or if we're undergoing stress or trauma, it tends to stick. So it sticks to the muscle, not allowing the muscle to be as flexible. Okay. And what that does is it causes a couple of issues. It causes chi stagnation, blood stagnation. It also causes, uh, causes you know, sore muscles or tight muscles. Um, and in some points, some ish- instances, it can cause pain. So uh, what cupping does is it actually goes to, it uses a negative pressure, right? Negative, negative um, pressure when you use a cup or if you do a uh, fire cupping and it, you place it on top of the areas that are affected. You typically over fleshy areas, you don't really want to do it over bone. You want to mm-hmm. do it over muscle and it's allow it pretty much uh, sucks the skin up. So it allows the fascia to be released from the muscle. And that does a couple things. Number one, in Chinese medicine, we also look at hot and cold 
as trying to be balanced in the body. You want, Mm -hmm. you want to be balanced in temperature wise. And a lot of times when we have injuries or emotions that are repressed or stuck, um, it turns into heat in the body. So cupping actually helps to release heat from the body. Okay. Number two, it helps with uh, microcirculation of the body. So anytime we have any kind of soreness or tightness or any kind of issues going on, it's typically because we're not getting enough proper blood flow in general, blood and chi flow to that area. So it helps to release that stagnation, helps to release it so that blood and chi flow can go to that area properly. Um, number three, it also feels good. <laughs> um, it helps to physically relax the fascia and the muscles. So your muscles will feel less tense. It re- relaxes the muscle fibers in the muscle. So when you're, um, depending on what kind of cupping you get done, whether it's stationary cupping, which is where the cups just lay on your back, or if it's cupping where you move it around, um, that can also determine uh, what's being addressed, but it can also help with any kind of muscular issues. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that it does. It's really good for um, preventative, actually. So people get it done um, uh, the season before allergy season, the season before cold season. It was looked at as a preventative and something that it's just instilled and ingrained in Asian culture so that, you know, here in the West, it's like, wow, this is cool. What is this? In the East, it's like you grew up with that. Mm-hmm. My household actually did not, but I was very familiar because I had, I knew other people that would get it done all the time. And it's not painful. Um, it shouldn't be painful. If it's painful, then they're probably, um, especially if it's using those pump cups, it's probably uh, administered not wrong. I mean, excuse me, not correctly. So you have to be careful who you go see. Um, to get cupping done, you're not supposed to let the cup stay on for longer than five minutes. And that's a big, because you can actually do more damage than good, uh, than harm. Uh, then yeah. So you can actually, because if you allow that kind of pressure in the body, your body will recognize it as trauma. So when you get your cupping done, whether it be through a massage therapist or through your acupuncturist, um, it's really important that they're educated and they know that. I don't think they teach that in massage therapy school. Um, I've had some patients come in that have had severe cupping where it actually did damage on them. And I told them, I was like, you should not go to this person anymore because they actually messed up your, your body. <laughs> How do you know if somebody is properly trained or not? How do you well, find Well, you someone? ask them, a, a basic entry-level question is, okay, how long have you been doing this for? And also, what do the marks mean? If they don't understand it, they can't give you a simplified answer of what the marks mean. Because, you know, ideally people, you see people walking around with the cupping marks mm-hmm. and they wear it proudly. You're not really supposed to have marks if you're healthy. <laughs> You'll have a little oh. bit of marks, but they shouldn't be that dark. Mm-hmm. So I'm in yoga class. I see the person in front of me on their mat and they're like completely black and blue. It's like, I can tell number one, that, that whoever that did their cupping over did it. And number two, that there's a lot of different issues going on because the actual cupping mark Ideally, it's supposed to be uniform in color, but if you actually look at it, most cupping marks are not. They have little specks of different colors, and that mm-hmm. usually can indicate a couple things. Um, pharmaceutical drugs, recreational drugs, um, a lot of too much alcohol in the body that's still kind of in there. Um, heat toxicity, which is a way to diagnose in Chinese medicine. Um, deficiency, blood deficiency, which is a one way to diagnose in Chinese medicine. So being able to actually read the marks and giving that feedback back to the patient, especially where they're, it's placed on the body. So for example, if someone is, if you place a cup right on the shoulder blade, depending on which side, and it's very, very dark, then that will tell me that their small intestine channel is clogged. Their small intestine channel is stagnant. Something needs to be done. And the reason I know this is because the small intestine, the organ, its channel, its meridian runs through the whole shoulder blade. And mm-hmm. so it's like, if you have that education and you know, you can share that with your patient and be like, hey, these are the adjustments you need to make. 
So that's why it's really important to go to see someone. I would highly suggest those listening and, and watching this to actually go to a licensed acupuncturist because that's where you'll get the exact treatment that you need. No more, no, no less, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where they can explain to you what they see to help better you because at the end of the day, yeah, you can go get cupping anywhere and yeah, you'll probably feel better right after, but then what, how long, you know, and then it's, there's also these do's and don'ts. Like you're not supposed to be directly in the sun after cupping. Um, you're not supposed to, you know, get into a hot sauna after cupping. There's all these things, these rules that no one really talks about. And so mm-hmm. it's really important to know to take care of your body after you get a treatment like that done. Wow. that's And also how, yeah. And also how fast the cupping marks heal. That feedback tells me how the patient's immune system is. So even if they look healthy, but those marks are on there two weeks later, I'm like, okay, we need to really boost your, your, your energy, your chi. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. So interesting. Yeah. You can tell so much from the body, but like, we don't, we don't know. Well, I mean, right. you just, you do. Cause you went to school for this <laughs> and like you do right. it, but right. I would never but, know, you know that. Exactly. And you know, it's one of those things where the body's always giving us hints and telling us things. We just have to know what to look for. For example, I can look at your earlobe and tell if you have high blood pressure, if you have tinnitus, I can look at your ear, your actual ear until if you have back pain without even asking, without even seeing, if you just showed me a picture of someone's ear. I mean, it's, that's, that's the thing. It's like your body's constantly telling you, giving these little clues as to, Hey, there's something going on. There's something going on. And it's showing up in places. And what's really sad about it is that modern day culture and even Western culture has really, you know, taken away from really paying more attention to the body, mm-hmm. right? We're more or less paying attention to what we wear or how we look than what our body's telling us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, things kind of go south because it's, it's just like listening to your body and getting back in touch. And, and, you know, that in itself takes time to really learn how to listen to your body and what your body's telling you. Mm-hmm. And then once you know, then go seek treatment for it. So it's, it's really, you know, it's a very, it's a process but it's something that anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. You posted a series of stories the other day on Instagram about machine gun Kelly's. Oh, (laughs) and I thought that was fascinating that you can tell all the different things from the tongue, but also that you used him as an example because his tongue is dyed black and you could see what was happening. You could still see what was happening. I mean, it's funny, like celebrities like Miley Cyrus, who always know for sticking her tongue out. I always, I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on with that woman. Besides that, but you know, the, the tongue is also a very one important tool that we use to diagnose the body, you know, and it's, um, the tongue is actually considered a microcosm of our entire body. So the tip of the tongue is like our heart and our lungs, the sides are our liver and our gallbladder, the middle is our digestive tract. And the, the root of the tongue is, um, our reproductive area. So just by looking at the tongue, I can tell there's a couple things going on, even if say you don't realize it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's, what's really nice about acupuncture is that when you put a needle somewhere, it has multiple purposes and uses. It doesn't just treat that one area, that localized area, but also depending on where it is, where on the meridian and how it's inserted, um, it can treat various things that the patient may not realize that they're suffering from. And that's why they feel better just overall because you know they're probably either used to living with this pain or this kind of condition, um, or they didn't realize that they could feel better. So yeah, yeah it's a beautiful medicine. I absolutely love it. All right. We are going to put a pin in it right here for this week. And next week we are going to jump into Chinese medicine, Eastern medicine for Botox, facial rejuvenation, cupping, gua sha, all the things that you've probably heard. 
She's going to break it down, give you the tips, tricks, tools, and proper technique if you want to try any of them at home. So I'll see you next week for part two with Dr. Kang. 